Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. Okay, there we go. Well, it's time to get started here, and um, we're going to... Um, introduce a new speaker today, Chris, that's me, I'm Tom's dad, and uh, so we've had Fred go through some, and Tom's gone through some of Second Peter, and now we're going to get into Second Peter chapter uh, 2, but <clears throat> before we do, I thought I would plug our announcer a little bit. How many people have watched him on YouTube? One. He has had 16 million views as a physics, what, what do you do? Yeah, he's a demonstrator for the physics department, and 16 million people have watched him. So if you want to really learn some things, actually he's pretty good with it from what I hear. So anyway, kudos to you, Austin, for doing that. All right, so listen when he does announcements next time, because it'll be Maybe there will be some physics in it as well. So uh, um, why don't we start out and pray? Because <clears throat> you guys all got up this morning and did all your makeup and all that stuff and got yourself over here. And one of the things we all need to work on is preparing our hearts to hear if God's word is being spoken so that we can learn from him. And so that takes a little bit of effort to um, prepare our hearts. So let's do so. Lord, we just ask today as we get into your word that you prepare our hearts to hear that we would walk away today with some things to ponder, some things that you put in our lives to help us um, grow in our relationship with you. So I pray you'd bless our time and help us to um, end up walking in a manner worthy of you. Amen. Okay, so I'll give a little review here of... Second Peter chapter 2, actually the whole thing. 67 A.D., how many people besides Fred remember that? Anybody? No? Okay, nobody does. He'll get me next time. And 67 A.D. is three years before the Romans sacked Jerusalem and pretty much destroyed the whole city. And it was a pretty messy time in the Roman Empire a lot of tribulation for Jews, and a lot of people didn't really distinguish between Jews and Christians in the Roman world. And so there was a lot of persecution and a lot of difficulties. I think one of the neat things about the persecution was that previous to um, this happening, the Jews had persecuted Christians, and so they moved out of um, Jerusalem, and they were in a area nearby, but they were safe when the Romans came in and really messed with Jerusalem. I thought that was a bad thing that turned out to be a good thing for Christians. And um, today we're going to look at, um, in our chapter 2, some of the things that were being taught and discussed by Peter about all this persecution. Um, But what we looked at earlier in chapter 1 is that God made promises to us. And those promises are in his scripture, and those are things we should look for. 
Um, and one of the things to really think through is to be all the more careful and certain of his calling and choosing you. And that, what that means is that you are confident today, if you got run over by a semi or something, that you would end up in heaven with Jesus Christ. And that you can be confident of that and not worried about your future. <clears throat> and if you have questions about that, ask, ask one of the pastors or anybody here on how to be sure. Um, and then I, I, I like this one because Peter was kind of saying, hey, you guys are complaining that I've said this stuff before, but I want you to remember that when I'm dead, these truths are still true. And I'm going to keep on saying the same things that you get them in your life. And, and then he indicated uh, the um, sense that he had scripture, but he also had been a witness of the father and the son interacting on the mountaintop. And it's a pretty strong testimony. So now we're going to go on further, and we're going to look at um, the first nine verses, and I'm going to read those out loud. And you can follow along on the screen. I'm using the New American Standard Version, but you could use the ESV or whatever. You, you could use the Vulgate. I don't care. Just there's some verses here we're going to read. Okay. <clears throat> but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And their greed, or excuse me, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of, of righteousness, um, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, and oppressed by the sensual con uh, oppressed by the conduct of um, sensual conduct of impensable men, and by for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the righteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So we have quite a few things here in that first nine verses. Next week we'll do the rest, and we'll probably spend some time looking at the different places that people and or angels go after death and what happens in these places before the great judgment day. It's kind of an interesting study. Uh, we'll do that next week. But we're going to start out here looking at false prophets. So just in general, a prophet is someone who speaks God's word. In the Old Testament, primarily it was somebody that would 
take the words of God by the Lord's Spirit and speak them to the people. And that's how God interacted with um, people in the past. So here it says um, that heresies, <clears throat> which are a body of men following their own tenets, sect, or uh, party, could be, um, there could be leading to a diversity of opinions and, arm, and aims, in even denying the master. So in a church environment <clears throat> now, we don't need pastors or you know, prophets that will be speaking the future as a scripture. We already have scripture. It's already set. It's pretty clear in Revelation that we're not supposed to add to scripture. But we do have prophets that speak to one another for edification, encouragement, and consolation. So it's more of a, a, a person where um, they may see some issues and speak to those, but it's more in the present and it's a little bit subjective. But here it talked about false prophets. And false prophets will probably be aiming at several things for themselves. One, they might want power. Two, they might want sensuality. Um, they might want riches. Um, but generally speaking, whatever they want is not going to be in line with what Scripture teaches in the New Testament. And so they may end up with greed. So here we're supposed to beware of the false prophets. Well, how do you know who the false prophets are? So what I thought we would do is an interactive time together. Well, I'm going to ask you to tell us who they are. And starting from 1800 to now, but nobody in the Lafayette area, because I don't want to get embroiled with a bunch of problems on that. So name some false prophets that you can think of or who are leading a cult that is anti-Christian or a cult that might be Christian, but who are the false prophets and maybe why? We have our first person, Greg. Okay, Jehovah's Witnesses, you could just use JW for that one. Caitlin? Okay, the Latter-day Saints or the Mormons or Joseph Smith, which is, why would he be off? Why would he be considered a false prophet? Yeah, he's, he's got a lot of issues, but one of the main ones is he has Jesus as not God in the flesh and that you have to work your way to, to have. What are about the JWs? Why are they considered false? Okay, so JWs, it's the same thing. Who else besides these two and some of them might be more modern, that might be on TV, who knows what. Yeah. The universalist movement, which I don't know what that means because it's too universal. But do you have anybody in mind for that? We'll just put that up. Okay, any others? Jim Jones? Is he the guy that caused everybody to commit suicide and all, yeah, somewhere down south. Oh, 
okay, we better watch out here. But that was like about 30 or 40 years ago then. Um, who else? Ooh, that's a good one. Scientologists, okay. And who knows what they believe, but they're pretty controlling people. Any others? Who? Yeah, they've kind of been around forever. <coughs> oh, okay. Okay. Atheists, just put a dot in case you can't spell it. <laughs> Anybody else? <clears throat> what about somebody that might be in the former Houston Astrodome? Yeah. Now, Joel Osteen has lots of followers. He's on TV. And I have not been sure if he's a Christian or not. But I think he's a false prophet. And the reason why I think he is is because he teaches that you need to gain wealth and health in order to be approved by God or something on that order. And so <clears throat> a lot of his doctrine is something that tickles people's ears. So here's a few of these guys. And so one of the first things we mentioned is that their main message was wrong because they didn't have the proper view of who Jesus was. And if Jesus is not God, he does not have the capacity to carry the sins of the whole world. He might have the capacity to carry one person's sin if he was perfect, but he couldn't do everybody. And so other false prophets will be <clears throat> prophesying for power or um, riches, wealth, that kind of thing. And so one of my friends that um, was from Indiana, he told me that it's the blab it and grab it type mentality that you just need to say by faith, I received this Cadillac and I just need to somehow grab it. And it's kind of a weird philosophy that you can use your faith to get yourself wealthy. Most of these guys do pretty good at being wealthy, but their followers don't because they're giving all their money. So <clears throat> here we have false prophets we need to be aware of because um, they are actively trying to recruit people. And one of the things that they do is that people in the world <clears throat> excuse me, will look at these guys and their followers and they'll go, all you want is money, all you want is your own fame, and they'll malign true Christians across the board because a few people are really off base. And so we need to be very careful because they're coming after us and with their doctrine. With So two of the first ones we mentioned, which was Joseph Smith with the Mormons and the JWs, are very, very active in every aspect of our society in outreach. So if you see three people wandering through your neighborhood with briefcases and well-dressed, they're probably not normal Lafayette people. These are somebody, well, they might live here, but they're out to catch you into their web, and we need to be careful of that. So we have an idea of some of these guys, and then with this, 
Tom and Fred and I were talking earlier this week, which we do every week about what's going to be shared. And one of the things that I think is important is that we need to know what's right and what's not right. And this is an individual status that we need to pursue as ourselves. So it's not up to the pastors to figure out everything that's going on for your life, though that helps. It's up to you to know what you think and who the false prophets are and who the true leaders are. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 20-21 says, Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. The next one is in Matthew 7, 30, or 20. He says, So then you will know them by their fruits. So one of the things that I do in my life is I go, okay, I listen to what they say, and then I look at what their fruit is. And one of the things I think is kind of fascinating when you don't have anything to do, go over to Tom's house, park in his driveway, walk across the street into the horticulture um, fruit area, and there's a whole field of abandoned fruit trees from Purdue. That's where they used to grow them. But if you look closely at each tree, it'll have a brass marker indicating what kind of variety it is. And some of these trees have some really good fruit. Others are kind of meh, crummy fruit. And you'll know them by their fruit. So if they didn't have those little brass things on, most of the year you wouldn't know what kind of tree it was. You'd maybe go, oh, it's kind of an apple tree, but I don't know what variety. And so here we need to be aware of what fruit these guys have in their personal life. So if you see them driving some super fancy car, then you have to go, you know, Jesus never drove a super fancy car. That was a humorous statement, maybe. And you go, I don't know that I want to follow some guy that puts money into the things of this world. But if you see somebody, so I'm going to call out two of you here, um, Fred and Tom, that put their money into what they believe in a sacrificial way or their lifestyle indicates that they're living for others, you go, okay, they pass part of the fruit test. The other part is that their doctrine would be good, they look at Jesus in the right way according to Scripture, and that you would know who you want to follow. And you follow, generally speaking, those who have good fruit. So if they're a loving, servant-oriented person, that seems to fit with what the New Testament teaches about leaders in the Christian world. And, and so here, um, we should examine everything carefully and take time to really think about it. And, um, oh. <laughs> and, and that is something that will be for the rest of our lives. Now, the devil, I'm just going to throw a plug out for the devil. He's good at what he does. He's been working against the Father for ages. He knows how to work with people um, in a way to give them temptations and and give them um, something to allure them to a false lifestyle. And so we need to be super careful, because we only have this one life, we don't want to mess it up. 
And so who we follow is pretty important because there's going to be some um, things that they do that could help us or could hinder us. So we need to be very uh, careful. Okay, so what are going to have, what's going to happen with some of these false prophets? Well, I'm going to use two varieties. One is false Christian prophets, and the other would be false prophets that maybe think they're Christians, but they really aren't. And so here, um, it says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, so their doctrine you need to be careful about. Their judgment from long ago is um, not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and confront, or, sorry, I just don't have enough light up here, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, there's going to be some judgment going on in time for these false prophets. Now, Christians were you know, under persecution around the empire. Things were getting bad. And it's one of the things they're thinking about is, God, what are, you going to, what are you going to do to help us or spare us? And he promises that we're going to suffer, that we'll have persecution. But he also promises even more that he's going to have judgment for false prophets and and cast them into hell, and there'll be a payment that they will make for what they have done. And so I think it's interesting, Peter <clears throat> uses this word, and I'm not sure what it's, I think it's called tartaro, and it's a Greek word that's only used once in the Bible, and it's in this passage here where he refers to the deepest pit of Hades. But where it comes from, is Greek mythology, uses that word quite often. And it shows that Peter was a little bit well-versed with the language and, and what was going on with other um, cultures. And so in the Greek writings, this was a common term. And he used it to show that there was a deep pit reserved for those that were turning away. And I thought that was kind of interesting that it's nowhere else mentioned in the Bible. It wasn't part of Hebrew background, but it was part of the Greek background, and he used that. Okay, so let's move on. God has made examples of what would happen to those that were wicked and not pursuing after God. So we have Noah in the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot. So Noah in the flood is kind of interesting um, if you've done any kind of research on this, a lot of people just go, ah, that's just a myth. Well, it's not a myth. And too many cultures have reported a flood enveloping the whole world that is different from, I mean, each one of these cultures was in a different geographic area. And when you um, look at all the things in common about this flood and the story afterwards, you could look at, wow, there, there's something here. And I think, what I forgot to look this up, maybe I'll try to remember last week, but there was some king down there somewhere around um, Iran, but it wasn't called Iran back there. And he was noted for around his throne, he had parts of the original ark, some of the wood that was from the ark. And he was well known because he had that direct connection. And so um, I think that's really interesting. I think Fred's going to take a whole crew down to um, the Cincinnati to look at the ark 
at the end of spring break. Is that right, Fred? Yeah. Fred will give you a guided tour. And it, it's amazing because the uh, model of the ark is so huge. And you, you just, just impressive. But you can't really do a good job of looking at it because there's so many things to read and to do. It's, it's just something to go see. But that's where Noah was warned by God about the wickedness, all the false teachings and things going on, that God was going to destroy the world except for those that feared him. And I think it's sad that out of all the millions of people that were floating around, oh, it's sad, <laughs> were hanging around with Noah in that culture, uh, that was not a plaid joke. Uh, all these people, he only found a few that he was going to save out of that culture. And so Noah spent all his time out there building this ark, and it took a long time. And then he got all the animals to go up there and, and hang out. It started raining, and the whole story goes on from there, where he destroyed the wickedness of the world, but he preserved Noah and his um, family. Next one is Sodom and Gomorrah. So in this story, Lot was, I think, the nephew of Abraham. And they entered into the promised land and became um, fairly wealthy with herds and all this kind of stuff. Lot decided to move into town and give up the farm life, and he ended up in this pretty wicked area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, um, <clears throat> and the, the, the terrible town with its terrible practices in so many areas um, came up to God's attention, and he said, I'm going to destroy the wickedness of this area. So it would be kind of fun if you wanted to look at the historical um, arena about what was like there um, now and what's left um, to look that up. But here Lot was living in that town. Angels came over to hang out with them, and a bunch of bad stuff happened. Um, and the angel said, you need to get out of town. Lot didn't want to leave. And then he finally did with his wife and his daughters. And then <clears throat> they were warned not to turn around. They did, and or the wife did. She turned into a pillar of salt. Lot went on, and um, it was not too good after that. But God protected him from this evil. Now, in my thinking... Lot was a bit of a dipstick, and he shouldn't have been living among all these people that were bringing down his lifestyle. And I think he, in a sense, had a love for other things, and his family did. And they were really committed to this lifestyle that Sodom and Gomorrah offered, but it was not one that was godly. But even still, even though he might have been off in some areas, he still had a faith in the Father, and the Father rescued him. And that's where we end up with verse 9. It says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So here we got Lot, we have Noah, and God pulled them out 
of what was going to happen because he had a, a different plan for them. And that's, it's kind of sad for all those that didn't fear God, but it was pretty cool for those that did because he protected them. So what we need to look for here, we're going to conclude here, um, falsehood is out there. And there's active effort to get you messed up, to get you to believe wrong things, to get you to follow the wrong people, but to realize that these things are out there and it's up to you to be careful. It says, um, then I wrote down, it's not neutral. You just can't live your life neutral. There's evil things out there that are trying to catch you. And there's very little conscience involved from the, the falsehood. And we need to be careful to examine everything carefully and hold fast to what is good. Um, you must know a little bit when you hear some of these teachers or some of these doctrines that they're false. And you should know why. And sometimes, um, so I'll give you an example. I was around um, in the early 70s on our campus at Iowa State, and we got hit by the Moonies. Um, Reverend Moon from Korea had this huge cult group going around, and um, they, one of them came to our meeting, and I made a mistake. I assumed this person was there to proselytize and to reach people in our group. And my mistake was, I didn't treat this person as someone who needed to hear the truth. And so I didn't, I just ushered them out. Instead, I should have ushered them out and talked with them at length about where they were at with God, because maybe they were disenfranchised, dis, well, whatever it was. Anyway, they, maybe they didn't like Moon anymore, and they were looking for truth, and they heard about this church that was there, and, and so I messed up. But I needed to spend time with that person as an individual and share what was good and what was right, and maybe they would come to Christ. Okay, so we all need to know, and we need to choose, and then in the end, judgment's going to happen for those that are espousing falsehoods, and we will be saved from the wrath to come, which is an exciting prospect. So here's the last two verses that I'll leave you with. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. And then the last one here is, so then you will know them by their fruits. So look it up on the source of all information apart from the Bible, Wikipedia, and look up some of these names or some of these groups, and you'll find a little bit of pros and cons about things, and that help you in your study, that you would know what the fruit is of what they teach. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go ahead and have our last um, worship song, then we'll go down to the potluck. So, Lord, we want to thank you today that Peter <clears throat> warns people to beware of false prophets, to be aware that they're going to cause problems, yet our job is to be examining things carefully, guarding things carefully, knowing that our future will be with you. And so help us today to be really thinking about choices that we need to make and who we're going to um, run with in our life. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. 
To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.